Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to another podcast in the mobility space that I think you'll enjoy, the Rideshare Guy podcast by Harry Campbell. Harry has become a trusted expert on all things rideshare, and he may be the only person ever to have driven for Uber and also interviewed Uber's CEO on a podcast. On the Rideshare Guy podcast, Harry interviews a wide range of industry and thought leaders in the rideshare and mobility space. You can find and subscribe to the Rideshare Guy podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles and the future of transportation. Welcome to season four. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. In this episode, we're talking with Jake Sion, the Chief Operating Officer of Transit. Transit is an app that provides real-time transportation information, planning, and payment across multiple modes to help you plan and get around cities. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Great. Can you start by telling us what Transit app is and where you guys are operating? Sure. Uh, So at Transit, we build an app that integrates all the ways to get around your city uh, without your own car. So from public transit at the core, but also including bike share uh, and all the other uh, new modes of mobility that are operating out there. Um, We're in about 200 cities today, uh, mostly in North America. Um, In the U.S. and Canada, we cover virtually every single mid to large city, uh, but we're also uh, in France and other places in Europe. Uh, and covering almost every major city in, in Australia and New Zealand. That's a lot of cities. Yes. <laughs> <That's... laughs> um, so Transit app started way back in 2012. How has your service evolved since then? What has that process been like? Sure, and I, I can tell a little bit of the, the origin story uh, of the company. I think those are always fun ones to understand uh, how the company has evolved. Um, so so the, the original story was uh, the company was founded by Sam Vermette, who was an industrial designer and a self-taught uh, programmer, and uh, Guillaume Campagna, uh, more from a computer science background uh, in Montreal, Canada. And, uh, you know, their, their experience was that um, uh, Guillaume had been building transit apps for, for over a decade, even before most cities had uh, GTFS, which is the, the, the standard uh, transit data format. Um, and so he was doing this by, you know, scraping data from government websites in order to build uh, build apps for public transit. Uh, and Sam, you know, had been building freelance uh, um, uh, apps on his own with a variety of clients. And so uh, they met actually, which is a fun story. Uh, they met because uh, Guillaume was looking to publish an app uh, in the app store for the first time, and he was not yet 18. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> exactly. And so Sam had, you know, a bit of a, a, a reputation as a, you know, an iOS developer leader uh, here in Montreal. And so Guillaume had reached out to Sam for, for some advice and information about, you know, publishing apps in the App Store. Um, and that was how they, they had first met. Um, but mostly they built the app originally to scratch their own itch. Um, so at the time, most public transit apps were very local. Um, they were built for one city. Uh, and so they both had sort of independently come up with two two uh, two ideas uh, that today seem pretty obvious, but at the time when they started working on the app in 2011, were not necessarily uh, you know universally thought about. Uh, the first was that as GTFS started to emerge in more and more places, 
they wanted to just build one app that worked everywhere. Instead of having you know one app for transportation in New York, one in Boston, one in Montreal, and so forth, they wanted the app to work uh, no matter where, where you went. Um, the second thing was they wanted to leverage geolocation on the phone. Um, and the reason for that was at the time you had sort of two types of apps for public transit. One, you know, one app was about uh, like Google Maps, just how do I get from A to B, right? And the other app was I'm going to browse essentially a database of all of the, the they realize is that for the, the daily commuter, uh, which you know makes up the majority of transit trips in, in, in many cities, for the daily commuter, what they care most about is when does my bus get here and not, not how do I get there. So the original design was simply about give users the fastest way as possible using uh, their, their location uh, to see when the next bus or train would arrive. And so that was sort of a core part of the original, uh, uh, the original vision and the, the original version of the app. Um, so that the, the app first launched in 2012. I hope I hope that uh, that background story gives gives some good context on on how we got to where we were. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and it it kind of leads into w what I was wondering, which is, um, what is the most important use case as as the app has developed? Is it trying to tell you the fastest way to get from A to B? If you're an existing commuter and you already know the route, is it real-time information or is it comparative? You know, should I take the ferry or should I take BART? Sure. Um, like, or is it for when you visit another city and you have no idea what the transit system is or, or how to navigate it? All, all the above. Um, I, I would say that, you know, getting back to sort of the core, what we started out was really about giving people, you know, easy access to real time information. Uh, but then, of course, you know, there are situations where, you know, you know, you're going to work, you know, you're taking the 55 bus and all you care about is when that bus shows up. But, you know, we, we, we don't always go to habitual places. And so building in, uh, you know, capable and, and, and uh, reliable transit routing was a huge part of that as well. Um, and same thing. One thing that was really nice about uh, supporting all these markets is, you know, when you go to a new city, you don't often uh, know your way around there and, and it can be confusing. But having an app that looks familiar, that you understand how to navigate, makes it easier to navigate uh, the real world as well. Um, but, but, you know, getting back uh, uh, to the beginning, you know, when we had started, we were simply focusing on uh, on information. Um, so really, you know, how do I get there? Where is my bus? Um, and first, just on transit information. But from there, as mobility started to shift, you know, as Uber and Lyft emerged, as bike sharing became more popular, we began realizing that it was not just about getting you around by public transit, but really getting you around by by uh, any mode that wasn't your own car. And so um, in 2014, we first added uh, Uber to the app, uh, as well as bike sharing, um, just, again, information about these services, um, and then moved on to adding car share uh, with both Car2Go and, and some local partners um, so that we can really give you all that information for all of these different services uh, in one place. So bringing it forward to today, we've also seen the introduction of things like dockless uh, bikes and scooters. Does Transit App try to incorporate things like that, or is it limited to things that have a fixed uh, point of origin for transit? No, we also do support um, dockless bikes and scooters in the app. You can you can see their location. Uh, you can see information about them where we have it, such as battery level and, and what the cost of that uh, you know bike or scooter would be. Um, and that that actually comes in handy in uh, a lot of places because 
you know, for example, in DC, I think they have uh, 10 different operators. Uh, and so often what you care most about is not, you know, whether that scooter is blue or purple, uh, but more about, you know, which one's closest to you. Uh, so that's been sort of a key thing that we've been doing is continuing to add these new services that, that emerge in cities. Um, you know, who knows what's going to come next, but we're, you know, we're making sure to continue to support them uh, on the information side. Alongside that, though, we are also starting to layer on payments for more and more services. Uh, you know, ultimately, information is, is hugely important, but giving the, the people the ability to easily act upon that information uh, is crucial, too. So, you know, we started uh, on the payment side uh, actually way back in 2015, um, where we launched our first uh, payment integration for bike share um, uh, in Aspen, Colorado, um, where you could actually buy a bike share pass through the app uh, and unlock a bike. Uh, and we scaled that out to about a dozen cities now, including most of the largest uh, cities in, in North America, including Toronto and Chicago um, and Montreal, uh, where you can you know, actually go ahead and buy a pass and unlock a bike. Um, uh, obviously, from uh, bike share is not the only thing that you need to act upon. So from there, we actually added in booking capabilities for ride hailing, uh, where you can now book Uber and Lyft trips directly in the app. You can also book car sharing trips directly in the app uh, and unlock vehicles in certain cases. Uh, and of course, the most important part, um, as of last spring, you can now uh, buy public transit passes uh, directly in the app, uh, which is now in that time we've scaled that to about a dozen cities, uh, including Denver and Cincinnati and, uh, and Santa Monica. Um, one thing that's particularly interesting in all of these cases is that, uh, you know, we're integrating multiple partners. So, uh, you know, not one company uh, handles payments for all transit agency, not one bike share supplier handles payments for all bike share companies. Uh, so we've been integrating with different partners. Uh, so it really can be as close to universal as possible. So uh, you also launched something called Transit Accounts. Is that sort of the place where all of these payment options uh, sit in the app? Yeah, so that that uh, was we launched this in September. And so, you know, as we've talked about in this conversation, there are more and more services to get around your city and not just you know, different types, but within each category, there can be several uh, operating in a city. And then, you know, you might go to the, to, you know, a few miles away into another city and then, well, there's a whole other set of options. So what we built with transit accounts was a way to universally hold information about customers so that they can access mobility, whether that's payment information, you know, personal information like an email address. Um, but importantly, what we've done is, is when you're trying to go from using one service to another, uh, we get the user's permission to transfer that information to another service provider. What that allows is the customer does not need to go through an entire flow of re-entering all of their information to access that service. So it's sort of a central place, a central account uh, to access all of these mobility services. Um, there are two pretty interesting, uh, other interesting things about it. Um, the first is, you know, what's often talked about in mobility as a service is this this question of you know who owns the customer, right? So Am I taking the payment? Am I holding the customer details? And so you're disintermediated from your customer or, or vice versa. Uh, and so what we've done is we've actually just shared that information. So the customer has everything in, in, uh, in our app so that they can access things easily, move all of this complication to the background where they don't see it, um, but also ensure that the partner uh, has access to all of these details as well so that they can continue running their service. Uh, so that was one of the, the, the key things. It was you know, quite, a, quite a big engineering lift that we're quite proud to have built um, and, and, you know, the goal is to add more and more uh, folks into those accounts and make it easier to access these new services. So when I create a transit account and I provide login for my Uber account that I already had and my Lyft account that I already had, 
and maybe some scooter accounts that I had, um, then Transit App has access to all of my historical rides and customer information the same way that Uber and Lyft and the scooter companies do? No, no, we wouldn't get any of your historical information of trips you booked. What it would be is you've gotten into the app. Let's say you are in uh, Denver. You want to buy a transit ticket. Um, you enter your information, your, your email address, your payment information. We securely hold all of those details and you can buy a ticket. Um, let's say tomorrow you're flying from Denver to L.A. You want to ride Big Blue Bus um, uh, in Santa Monica, which is the, uh, the, the, the local bus uh, agency, and uh, you want to buy a ticket. So because we have that information, buying a ticket is seamless. Uh, you can just go ahead and, and do it, even though um, the payment provider in, in, uh, in Santa Monica is different than the one in, uh, in Denver. Um, in Santa Monica, we work with a company called Token Transit. In Denver, we work with a company called Masabi. And so, you know, this is, doesn't, you know, uh, is not interesting to the end customer. But what is interesting is they don't have to go through another sign-up form. They don't need to download a new app uh, in order to access the services that uh, they want to. And that's because you have my credit card information or other payment and contact information in your app and you're sharing that with Big Blue Bus so that they can then charge me for that ticket without exactly. me having to have a separate account through them. Exactly. And the important part for the transit agencies and you know, as well as the mobility operators is if tomorrow Big Blue Bus decides they don't like me anymore, um, they don't lose access to all of that information about their customers, right? They still have those accounts. They still have uh, uh, that information uh, on their side. Um, so that, that's been a key thing for, 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 for us and, and for our partners. Right. And so um, when it comes to transit, let's say I uh, fly into a city and I want to take the subway in that city. Um, if I am logging on and buying my ticket through the transit app, can I also... Um, tag on or otherwise um, access the system itself uh, directly using the transit app? Or how, how does that work? How do you integrate kind of the access or the ticketing uh, once payment is handled? Yeah, so it really depends on what a system uses for, for validation, let's say. So, uh, you know, a, a system can use something like a MetroCard in New York. In other cities, they um, will have flash passes where you actually show a visual pass on your phone to the driver. In other places, there could be barcodes that you scan. Uh, so that really depends on how the city is validating. Right now, we have two types of integration, which would either be barcodes, where you get on the bus and you scan, uh, you scan your ticket, um, or a visual where there's sort of a visual uh, ticket that you have on your phone that you display uh, uh, to the driver. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty agnostic for, for the types of validation schemes we can support, um, but those are the first two cases of, of what we've implemented. And so uh, in all of the instances where I'm paying through the Transit app, the Transit app will also in some way or form serve as my ticket to get me exactly. into the service. Okay, great. And going back to kind of the the route planning and the idea of real-time information, you mentioned uh, the GTFS data format. How are you uh, – is that the primary way that you're getting information about public transit services in each city? 
And um, how does it work with real-time information? I know that probably varies widely by city and by service, but what are some of the challenges there and how does the GTFS data work and then also real-time and, and how do you pull that together? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I can talk a little bit about, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the data access first. So, uh, you know, today we take it a bit uh, as a given that there's universal um, access to GTFS data in, in North America, um, where, you know, basically every single transit agency is publishing that data openly uh, for anybody to use. Um, this is more and more the case in other places as well, but, but not always quite as advanced as, uh, as in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and why don't you explain what, what GTFS actually provides you with? Sure. Yeah, so there's, there's two, there, there are sort of two uh, distinctions. One is static information. Um, so these are things that don't change that frequently. Things like where is the bus stop? Um, what is the schedule? Um, uh, you know, what is the color of this line? So information that, you know, some agencies might issue small corrections quite often, but generally does not need to be updated in real time. So that's, that's the static information. The other information is the real-time information, and that will contain information uh, such as the position of vehicles, uh, the predictions of when uh, a bus or train will arrive at a given stop, uh, but also um, service disruption information. So if there's you know, um, uh, a sick passenger at a stop, for example, uh, and trains are going to be delayed. So that, that's what's in the, the real-time uh, uh, standard. And... For the public transit uh, agencies that you uh, gather data from, how ma how many of them also have this real time aspect of the, to the data? In other words, is is it universal that everyone is able to tell you where the buses are and when they're going to arrive, or is that only in certain areas? It's certainly not universal, but it's becoming more and more and more common um, where. You know, at this point, I think the majority of large cities in the U.S. and Canada um, have this data um, and more and more of them have it in this standardized format called GTFS real time. That is not quite as universally adopted today as um, the static information, um, but more and more uh, uh, agencies are putting it out in, in that format, which just makes it a lot easier to access for all kinds of different use cases. And do you have other ways, such as crowdsourcing or, or other means, to um, give your customers uh, real-time information if the city is not able to provide it? Yeah, I mean, so we do a lot on that on that side, but but you know, generally speaking, it's in addition to the information we get from the transit agency, not a replacement of the transit agency information. Um, and so, you know, to talk a little bit about that. One thing we found, and you know, it's not often brought up when, when there are mobility as a service conversations, but really the most important thing for, for users is accurate information on when their bus or train go, is going to arrive. That's, that's the thing that we see time and time again you know, as the core thing that, that our users care about. And so we've done a lot to make sure that we have uh, that information. So from building automating, automated tools to notify agencies when their data feeds aren't working, to building tools to track the accuracy of real time in a variety of cities, uh, to see how good that quality is, um, you know. But obviously, the question, as you asked, is well, what if the real time is not, you know, uh, uh, great? So there's sort of two key things we do. The first is that we have a feature in the app called Go. Uh, what Go does is it holds your hand throughout your journey. Uh, it tells you when to leave home to catch your bus. Uh, it tells you to hurry up if you know the bus is going to get there earlier than it originally thought. Um, 
when you're on the bus, if you want to fall asleep, uh, we will alert you a couple of stops before your destination to tell you, hey, you know, you're about to arrive, you know, get off the bus here. So it really, you know, is a, is a full sort of companion for, uh, uh, for your journey. But one part of the, that feature is that while you're using it, you know, with the user's permission, uh, we are also uh, tracking the location of the vehicle. And so what that does is that it allows us to improve uh, the quality of, uh, of the vehicle locations that we receive from transit agencies. In certain cases, especially for transit agencies that have older equipment, uh, real-time updates can be only every few minutes. And so, you know, imagine seeing a bus at one stop and then three minutes later seeing it four stops down, you know, down the line. That's not, you know, as useful as it could be to customers. And so we use that Go data to supplement uh, the information we get from transit agencies. Uh, and now in some of our, uh, on some of our busy routes, we can have over a third of trips, you know, being crowdsourced and uh, augmenting the, the, the transit agency data that we get. Um, the second thing that we do in addition to the Go crowdsourcing is we've now built our own uh, machine learning uh, uh, prediction engine. And so what that does is it looks at, you know, historical data and other a variety of factors such as, you know, traffic and, and other things that can be impacting, uh, you know, real time arrivals uh, to overlay uh, on top of the predictions we receive from, from transit authorities. And so we first rolled this out in Montreal and we cut real time inaccuracies by about half in the city. Uh, and we're working to roll this out to more cities and continue training that model um, as well. Uh, and there's one last thing I can mention, you know, for, for the folks who do care a lot about real-time transit information, uh, is that, you know, one of the things we also look to do is ensure that the transit agencies are, you know, working with, uh, you know, great real-time information providers. And so what we found, generally speaking, is that um, our partner, Swiftly, uh, which is a company who, who provides, uh, you know, a variety of data services to transit agencies, um, generally has the most accurate information. So even just pointing transit agencies to those that we know really specialize in providing accurate real-time information and accurate predictions. You've talked about the information that you're getting from these public transit agencies. Can you talk a little bit about what the partnerships are like as you go into different cities and work with different cities? I know in some cities you're sort of endorsed by public transit agencies and I know you've also done some other um, innovative things like in Pittsburgh. Maybe you could talk about the Pittsburgh Micromobility Collective and what that might look like. Sure, yeah. Um, so with open data, the beauty of that is that, you know, anyone can do anything with it, essentially. So I can turn on, uh, I can go to a city and offer, uh, offer the app, um, you know, just as is. Um, but obviously, in order to, to have the best experience, you need to be working with with the transit authorities, with the cities. And so, um, you know, in order to deliver that the best experience, we need to be partners. Um, one thing that that transit agencies have been doing historically is, you know, uh, they would open their data and that was that was it. And so you would you know, go to a transit agency website, let's say the MBTA in Boston, um, and you'd see a website page that had 50 different apps that were built on top of the data. You know, that's fantastic to see that kind of innovation built on the data that they opened. Um, but but the problem was, was that for riders, they didn't know what, what to use, what was great, uh, you know, what was the best place to get the information they were looking for that offered a great experience. And so, um, uh, you know, what our partnerships looked like was that transit agencies really wanted to be directing customers to an app that they could trust, that they can work with. Um, uh, and we obviously wanted the support and the endorsement of, of that transit agency. And so what these partnerships would look like would be, uh, you know, transit agencies would go out and, and recommend us uh, to their riders. Riders would know where to get great information. 
uh, and go for a good experience. But we would work very, very closely with the transit agencies as well. So, um, for example, we would power, we'd give them back data on how people were getting around their city. Um, we would give them access to a dashboard so they could see how their riders were using the app. Uh, and send alerts uh, if they didn't have uh, uh, an existing, you know, service alert speed. Um, and we'd work on building features that were important to them. One of the things we've been working with a few agencies on is putting extra focus on accessibility uh, features uh, in the app. So things that help, for example, people uh, in wheelchairs are using strollers. We now have about 1% of all of our users have turned on functionality to help them see what parts of, their, of the system are accessible and help them route around it. Um, and we have about half a percent of all of our users who've turned on voiceover, um, which is particularly helpful if you're, you know, if you're blind or, or, or vision impaired. So it, it's this close collaboration with transit agencies that really ensure that uh, the experience is as good as it, as it can be. And tell us about um, Pittsburgh and some of the other things you might be thinking about in terms of ways to work with cities and think about things like mobility hubs or or other ways to promote multimodal transportation sure yeah so uh, you know at pittsburgh put out an, an rfp they were looking to see you know a great uh, example of a public um, a private partnership where you could uh, bring together you know best in class providers in a variety of areas whether it was micromobility you know car sharing uh, carpooling uh, information um, and, and pull together a team that would work with the city on, on, on their goals, whether that's, you know, reducing single occupancy vehicle usage uh, or improving access to public transit stops and, and, and so forth. And so one of the very interesting requirements of that RFP was that they required a multi-party team. They, they didn't want just, you know, one company to be, you know, providing mobility in the city, which, you know, is, is quite is quite interesting. You know, the, the, the realization that, you know, it's really going to take uh, it's going to take everyone to to. Uh, you know, to combat car ownership and, and car usage. And so they structured the RFP to look for, you know, teams that could, that could collaborate uh, together. And so we responded with a team that uh, was led by Spin, um, but also included Zipcar and Waze Carpool um, and Swift Mile, which makes docking stations um, uh, and others uh, to, you know, provide a, a full a suite of mobility services uh, to the city. And so what that's looking like is, you know, our role in there is to integrate all these uh, different providers into one experience where they can access and pay for bike share. They can pay for public transit. They can pay and access scooters um, all uh, inside of a single place. And so, um, you know, work is, is underway, but we're really quite excited to, to, to bring this to Pittsburgh. Um, it so happens that, that Pittsburgh was a city that um, uh, for many reasons had strongly adopted the app. So today in the city, about one in three people who get on a, on a bus or train in the city today are going to already open up the app. So it's a great uh, opportunity to, to, to grow off of that, that strong uh, existing foundation. Yeah, it's funny, you know, cities are, I think, really looking for ways to promote multimodal transportation. And I think realizing that just telling people, well, everybody should ride the bus is not really a message that has gotten very far and that with the proliferation of these new technologies like micromobility um, and rideshare and car share and these other options that it might be easier to get people out of their privately owned vehicles if you combine uh, multi-modes together uh, in, in planning your trips. What do you think you know, based on the data and experience that you've had, 
What do you think is the biggest barrier to getting people to adopt multimodal transportation? Sure. I, I think it starts with even just awareness. You know, we're, we're all mobility nerds and we know that we can take, you know, an Uber to the train station and hop off and then take a bike share, you know, that last mile. But it's not something that necessarily is, is apparent to, to uh, you know, to, to, to average folks. And um, and so one thing that we have done on our side to make that uh, much more accessible is building in routing that uh, makes it easier for you to combine those modes. So in our app, you'll see uh, when you plan a trip, you'll see public transit options, but then you'll also see trips that might tell you, you know, take the scooter to that train station. And actually, look, it's going to be a lot faster than than if you took an Uber even or if you took uh, public transit on its own. So I think it starts with even building up uh, awareness. Um, but the second piece of that comes back to a lot of the data questions we were already talking about earlier uh, on the call, uh, which is um, this is only possible. It's only possible to educate people and show people their options and make it easier for people to access them if that information is universally accessible. Right. If if, if your best trip involves taking uh, a scooter from one company, uh, a train from a different and a ride hail from a third, this doesn't do the consumer much, much good. These are all in three different apps, three different payment schemes. And so the foundation of building this into a way that's actually usable for people is continuing uh, to build off of the work uh, around uh, transit data standards with data standards for micromobility, for ride hailing, for other services. Um, what's great is that there's already been a lot of progress there. So um, among uh, bike sharing systems, there's a standard modeled off of GTFS called GBFS. Um, that has been adopted almost universally by all dock bike sharing systems and more and more um, micromobility services as well. Uh, and you also see uh, cities requiring that from their operators. So whether in Washington, D.C. or in uh, Portland or in Chicago or in Baltimore, all of these cities have said, if you want to operate in our city, you know, we require uh, that uh, that this data be made open uh, and available. Um, and, you know, it doesn't stop just at information. I think information is, is, is the first piece. But ultimately, like I said, in order for this uh, really to, to, to have an impact, it needs to also be about about payments. So you have cities who are who are similarly following up on, on their work around making information universally accessible by making payments accessible as well. So you have a city like uh, Dayton, Ohio, that's requiring of any scooter operator wanting to come uh, into the city to make booking APIs available. You have Chicago requiring that Divi, the bike sharing uh, uh, service there, uh, enable um, integration into third party apps as well. Uh, and then you obviously have, you know, even countries uh, doing this where, you know, Finland has led the way in requiring uh, booking and payment standards. So, you know, I, I think there are a lot of different ways that, that we're going to tackle the issues of, of people driving, uh, uh, um, you know, to get around everywhere. But one of the, the core ways that we can address this, and really that is not um, uh, about, uh, um, that's really not necessarily challenging for, for cities in a lot of ways, is to make this data available and open uh for that innovation to build off of uh, those standards, just like it built off of uh, public transit uh, information. And do you feel like the act of having to pay, that the act of payment is a significant barrier for people using public transit? I know there's some debate, and I think it was Kansas City or some other folks who have come out and said, you know what, we're just gonna make the public transit portion of the trip free to eliminate that barrier, whether it's affordability or just the act of needing to have a pass or, or buy a ticket. Do you feel like the act of payment is a barrier to ridership or how should cities think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's sort of two separate issues. I think the first one are are there are equity questions about you know fair you know making sure that fares are are fair, um, and so that can uh, whether that's exploring free fares or exploring reduced price um, uh, uh, transit fares for certain populations. I think you know that that's important, and there's you know great work being done there. I think the second the, the second part of, of of payments is making this uh, you know making payment a lot easier and. If you know, if you are required in every city you go to to figure out, you know, some new uh, uh, kiosk and and figure out the machine and figure out, oh well, it does not take credit cards; it only takes uh, cash. I, I think uh, it, it serves as a huge barrier to public transit. If you need to have cash on you, it serves as a barrier to riding public transit. And so, the more you can make this open, the more you can let more um, uh, companies and uh, um, uh, you know try to build off of uh, off of the foundation that the transit agency puts in place. You know, I think the easier it becomes to to, to ride uh, public transit. You want you want payments to not be something that uh, is a concern or a reason for you not to uh, get on the bus. And what about uh, smartphones? I know Apple Pay in some cities is is facilitating transit payment. Um, is that a competitor to what you're doing, or would you integrate with um, some of those types of services? Yeah, not at all. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it, the, the you know our goal is to to make it easy to 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 access regardless of what the validation scheme is, whether it's through uh, um, uh, you know contactless bank cards or Apple Pay or uh, you know validating through barcodes. You know, it, it, the hope is that it's not really about the technology; it's more about making this as universally accessible as possible. So you know, we're we're adopting the technology as it comes. You know, so uh, some cities uh, are using flash passes, others are using a barcode, others are using other technology. But you know, we're really uh, um, uh, flexible to work with. You know, what 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 uh, whatever follows. And some people may have heard about some new providers doing a mobility as a service offering. We're seeing this more in Europe, uh, but also in the U.S., with the idea that not only would you be able to buy an individual trip using an app, but that there might be a subscription service. So you might pay one monthly fee to have access to unlimited public transit, plus a certain number of Uber or Lyft rides, plus a certain number of minutes of, of bike share or scooter, scooter share. Uh, what do you think about mobility as a service, as a product? Is it something that you guys would think about? And how do you see that fitting into the, the transportation landscape? Yeah, um, and we can start with, with, with uh, you know, mobility as a service, which is it's what the industry is calling, but you know, this is what we've been doing every single day, even if our users don't think of it that way. They, they think of it just as uh, convenience. Um, so there's, there's sort of the, the user perspective and, and the industry perspective, which is always important to, to keep in mind. Um, but diving into sort of that specific concept within mass of, of subscriptions, you know, I think you can look at it from two perspectives. You know, I think, you know, one way to look at, about, at it is from a transit agency's perspective, which is obviously something that's very often on our mind. Um, and if you're a transit agency, you're seeing a you know, variety of trends. You're seeing, you know, ride hail, um, uh, you know, being competitive in some cases for people who, who would have taken a transit trip. I think there was some survey in Boston which said that 42 percent of people who had uh, taken ride hail, if ride hail was not available, would have you know, chosen to take public transit. You have micromobility, um, which uh, is serving uh, trip distances that are can be similar uh, uh, to the bus, for example, I think. 
numbers we've seen are around, you know, one and a half, two miles for an average scooter trip. And, you know, an average bus trip can be around, you know, three or four miles. And then you have, you know, things like open payments that are allowing you to easily pay for single trips, you know, with, with, with bank cards in, in, in several, uh, in several markets. And so one of the impacts of, of all of these different things for on the transit agency side can mean that, you know, an end customer decides not to buy a monthly pass. They're choosing a trip on an individual basis. Um, and so if you are a transit agency and your end riders are deciding, you know, that, um, between a bus trip that might cost a few dollars and a, and a scooter trip that might be pretty similarly priced, you know, you might be more likely to take that scooter now that you don't have that sunk cost of that monthly pass. And so what that can mean for a transit agency is, you know, fewer people, um, uh, 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 buying monthly passes and, and leading to less revenue, which leads to less service and creating a bit of a negative spiral for that agency. And so one of the things that I think is interesting on, on the on the bundling side and subscription side is actually the transit agency trying to find ways uh, to bundle new mobility into the passes that they're offering customers. Um, uh, because, you know, transit is still, the you know, the, the foundation of mobility in a city. People are still going to use transit uh, to get around uh, more than these other modes. But, you know, why not bring them into the fold? And so I think there's a, a transit agency angle. Um, on our side, you know, I think my, my answer actually ties back into what we talked about before around, you know, the access to, to APIs and open standards, which is there's just not been enough experimentation yet. Um, I don't think enough people know what, what users want. You know, is it what they want? They not to think about it. They want the peace of mind and are, say, willing to pay a premium for that of just having a pass that works on everything. Uh, is what they want, uh, you know, a guarantee that they'll get somewhere by a certain time or, uh, you know, access to a car. Um, you know, I think we don't have the answers to that yet. Uh, and one of the ways that we and other uh, companies in this space can start, you know, finding those answers is, you know, by removing these sort of custom bespoke integrations uh, and these, you know, slow learning cycles. The more that, um, you know, payments are open in more places and to more people, the more that, you know, variety of companies can experiment and figure out what is it that, that users want. Um, and so I think, you know, from, from, from our perspective, that's really, you know, the foundation. I think that there are a lot of things that can appeal to customers, but, you know, we don't have all of the answers yet. And, and, you know, we're excited to start experimenting around that. It seems like it's hard to know how you would price a service like that. Um, and know how many trips of each type would be appealing to the most number of people. So it seems like it's a, a problem that will take some amount of time to try to figure out. Yeah, and that and that's what you know. All of this experimentation, I think, will will help uh, will help folks solve. Um, again, builds off of uh, of the availability of, of of APIs and payment standards. So it's not um, uh, you know, so it's open to more and open to, to, to more companies to, to to you know find these answers. So, what do the next few years look like for Transit? You uh, raised some money last year. You've got some investors, I think, uh, who are arms of auto manufacturers. Um, what are you looking to do uh, over the next few years? Yeah, I think we're looking at it, you know, in a couple of ways. I think the the, the first part is really continuing to invest in, in the core experience, um, whether that's routing, reliability, the quality of the data. These are things that matter to people every single day. Um, and these things aren't binary. It's not that you have real-time information that it works. It's not that you have trip planning that it's the best possible trip planning. And so, you know, continuing to invest in, in that core experience. But, you know, um, moving on from that, you know, we're also working to integrate more services into the app. You know, we've talked about our integration of, of, uh, of scooters and dockless bikes, work to integrate more cities. Um, we launched our first South American city um, uh, this summer in Buenos Aires. Um, but, but also, as we've talked about, again, uh, deepening those integrations so that you can pay for and unlock and access these services in more and more places and more easily, um, both, you know, individually, whether you're booking an individual scooter trip, 
um, but also uh, multimodal trips. So making it easier to book these multimodal trips in one click, um, uh, to access them, to unlock them. Um, those are all sort of core focuses of ours and uh, what, what we're working on over, uh, over the coming months. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was really interesting to hear how you're developing uh, this app over time. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Michelle. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Jake for joining us. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes, please check out our Medium publication called Smarter Cars. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.